Good morning, Bethlehem Free Will Baptist Church. It's so We are so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. As always, we want to start things off with a word of prayer. And I realize if you've been watching the news or have the TV on, you realize that we desperately need prayer. And so let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing on the service today. Father, sometimes we are overwhelmed with what we see. Father, sometimes we turn the news on. We pray the prayer that John prayed. Lord, come quickly. Father, help us to realize that our hope is not in this life, but it's in Jesus Christ and the life to come. Father, I thank you for the blessings that you've given us. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for the community of believers that you've placed in our paths because you knew that we needed to be connected. Not only to you, but to each other. Father, I pray that you help us today. Father, whatever we may have brought into the service, Father, may we lay it aside. Whatever burdens we're bearing, whatever fear, whatever worry, whatever discouragement, God, help us just to, for just a few minutes, a few moments, help us to focus on you and your goodness. God, we love you and we praise you for what you've done. God, I pray that you be with every aspect of this service. Help it to be for your glory and for your honor. In your son's name. Amen. Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah.
You know, that, that's what we're called to do, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. And the next two songs that we're going to sing, I feel like, really fit with the time that we're in. And the next one, we've sung some here on Sunday nights, uh, but you may not be as familiar to you. But I want you to really listen to these words as we sing, No Longer Slaves.
We're thankful that we can worship a God who is not dead, who hears and who knows and who we can trust in. And God, I'm thankful that we have the opportunity, even in the craziness of our world today, to take some time away to focus on you. God, you are not a God of fear. You've, you've told us that you will take care of us no matter what comes. And even if death is our lot, God, we know that we can look forward to time in eternity with you. God, we ask that you'll be with those who are here today, those who are watching. We'll speak to their hearts as Pastor Shiloh brings your word. We ask that you'll speak through him our need and we'll be able to say it's been great to be in your house and in your presence we dedicate this time to you in Jesus name we pray Amen. you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and then hold your finger there and turn to 1 Corinthians 13 Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 13 we're going to start a series this morning uh, on the fruit of the spirit and notice I didn't say fruits of the Spirit, and we'll get to that in a minute, but fruit of the Spirit, nine virtues of the Christian life. And of course, today we're going to be talking about love. I don't know if you ever heard the story about the actor who was playing the part of Christ in the Passion Play in the Ozarks. And as he was carrying the cross, there was a certain tourist that began to heckle him and make fun of him and shout insults. And so finally the actor had enough. He threw the cross down and walked over and knocked the tourist out. After the play, the director told him, he said, I know the guy was a pest, but you can't do that because you're playing the part of Jesus, and Jesus never retaliated, so don't do anything like that again. The actor promised that he wouldn't, and so the next day, the same thing happened. He's carrying the cross. The heckler came back this time worse, making fun of him, um, yelling insults, and so finally... The actor exploded and punched him out again. The director said, that's it, I have to fire you. We just can't have somebody playing Jesus knocking people out. The actor begged. He said, please give me one more chance. I really need this job. I promise I'll handle it better next time. So the director decided to give him another chance. The next day, he was carrying the cross of the street, and guess what? Here's that heckler making fun of him again. This time, he's getting a little bit more in into it. And you could see the actor was getting agitated, and he was trying everything in his power to control himself. He started clenching his fist. He started grinding his teeth, and the heckler just kept on heckling him. So finally, he, 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 he's had it. He stopped, and he said, I'm going to meet you after the resurrection. All of us know that we're supposed to love people at all times but it isn't easy. There are plenty of times, even times that we're living in right now, that we want to express to others just how we feel. Yet the Bible tells us if I'm supposed to exercise anything, I'm supposed to exercise out of love. Listen to these words in Ephesians 4.2. It says, be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love, bearing under everyone in love. And as we start the fruit of the Spirit, nine virtues of the Christian life, uh, I want you to understand we're doing this because it has one purpose. And the purpose, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, is to measure us in our Christian walk. Or as Paul said it, to examine ourselves and to make sure that we are of the faith. If you're in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 16 through 26. It says this, I say then... Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right off the bat, Paul's saying, in order for you to control 
the lust of the flesh, you need to be walking in the Spirit. Then verse 17, he says, For the flesh lust or wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I've told you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, and this is very important, he said, those whose life are, are evident, these are evident in their lives or practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh when it's pa- with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so some observations real quick about the fruit of the Spirit. First of all, we can't create this fruit on our own. We cannot create the fruit of the Spirit on our own. If you look at verse 17 again, it says, For the flesh battles against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. There is a definite contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. It's almost as if Paul is saying, look, if these things, the works of the flesh, are in your life, and the fruit of the Spirit is not, then that tells you that you are not a believer. But if you see the fruit in your life, that tells you that you are a believer, because the fruit of the Spirit can only come from God. Someone put it this way. Vices come from our sinful nature, or from the works of the flesh. Virtues come from the Spirit's work. That's why in Galatians 5.25, he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step or keep living by the Spirit. We also see the fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. You cannot get one without the other. I want you to go back to verse 22. Notice the use of the singular word fruit and not fruits. And I think all of us in our life used to call them the fruits of the Spirit because there's a lot of them, but it's really the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to know this is not a grammatical error. The Greek very clearly reveals that it's in the singular. Now, some people believe that commentators are saying that the main fruit of the Spirit is love and that everything else flows out of that. But it's not, because if you look at verse 14 of Galatians 5, it says the entire law is summed up in a single command to love your neighbor as yourself. And while I agree that love is the most important, I think the singular is used for another reason. And that is, the character qualities or divine virtues are like a cluster of grapes. The fruit of the Spirit is a bunch of grapes. Let's say nine different grapes. One grape may taste sweet. Another may have a brilliant color. One may be smaller than the other, but they're all still grapes. I also say this, you cannot pick and choose which fruit you want over the other. It is a package deal. And once you are become a believer, God gives you the fruit of the Spirit. We also see that the focus is on Christian character. It's important to distinguish between the gifts of the Spirit, which happens at salvation, the gifts of the Spirit, which have to do with service, and the graces of the Spirit, which relate to Christian character. 
Too many times in our churches, we start thinking more about what somebody can do instead of who they are. And what I'm talking about is the spiritual gifts of whether it's teaching or preaching or, or some type of ministry help. Because building Christian character must take precedence over displaying special abilities. Amen? People need to have a godly character before they do anything in the church. Also, the fruit must be displayed individually and collectively. We're not given the fruit of the Spirit just to, so some individuals can be more kind, more faithful. Because if the church is to be the community of God that it desires to be, all nine of these virtues that we're going to look at for the next nine weeks should be characterized in the life of the church. I believe that Bethlehem Church should be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in the context of Galatians 5, fruit is a contrast to those things that lead to strife. Why is there fighting in the church? Because some are not truly saved, even though they may say they are. And the reason that we know is because it's evident in the works of the flesh that they live. You know, you hear people say, you know what? Nobody has a right to judge. Well, that's not necessarily true. We should be fruit inspectors. Amen? You should be able to see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And if you look at my life and you see more of the works of the flesh than the fruit of the Spirit, that should tell you something. We also see this. Not all fruit ripens at the same time. We must allow for the process to fully take place. If a cluster contains nine individual grapes, we all know this. They all differ in size, shape, and taste. One may be fully ripened. One may be full of sweet juice, pleasing to the eye and delicate to the taste. But in the same cluster, there may also be several grapes that are somewhat less ripe. And I want you to think about that. That means as you look at my life and I look at your life, there's going to be certain fruit of the Spirit that is more evident or you can see that it's grown more than others. And that's the process that it takes, which leads to my next point. The fruit of the Spirit should be the result of living the normal Christian life. When I think about it, and we're not talking about patience today, but when I think about patience, everyone in the sound of my voice knows that the only way that you get patience is through hard times or having children. But through, that's the only way that you get patience. So how, how do we get patience? It is a process that's working in the Christian life. And so it's the result of living a normal Christian life. Let me say this, and I'm moving kind of fast. You cannot have the fruit of the Spirit outside of Jesus Christ. So as I am a believer, these fruit of the Spirit are just going to be the normal things that start happening. People ought to be able to know you. that If they knew you before salvation, after salvation, they ought to be able to come up to you and say, I see evidence of joy, more joy in your life than I did before. I see that you're a more patient person than you were before. I see that you're more loving than you were before. Also, and this is the last observation, bearing fruit is both a gift and a task. There's a paradox in living for Christ, isn't there? Fruit is always a gift, but still it requires good, hard work. See, while the love of Christ is poured in our hearts, 1 Corinthians 14.1 tells us to pursue love by going after it. We've also been given the fruit of the Spirit, and yet we're reminded in Galatians 5.16 to live by the Spirit. It's ours, but we have to appropriate that which has been given to us. It is not automatic. As you are saved, 
You just can't say, well, I'm saved, and you never open up the Word of God. You have to be in the Word of God and let the Word of God penetrate your hearts. Now that we're in Galatians 5, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. And I'm going to give you two things um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love. The first thing is that love is essential. As we're thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, we need to understand that love is essential. Look at verses 1 through 3. Paul says, after he's already been talking about all the, the works of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, he gives us a list of what they are. Then he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Profits me nothing. What is Paul saying? He's saying, whatever I do and say is useless without love. I want you to get that. Whatever I do and whatever I say is useless without love. Let me just say that this way. You can do all kinds of things in the name of Christianity or in the name of the church, but your motives may not be for love and for the love of Christ. Everything that you do and everything that you say has to be wrapped around love. In verse 1, Paul's saying, if I could master all these languages, even if I could master the heavenly language of the angels, but I don't have love, I'd be nothing but a symbol or, or, or a clanging uh, symbol. You need to understand, what is he talking about? Well, in the first century, there was a big gong or symbol hanging in the entrance of most pagan temples. And when people came to worship, apparently their gods would fall asleep. So they'd have to bang on that gong to wake it up, like I need to do for some of you right now. Just wake them up real good. Paul is saying, listen, even if he were so blessed that he could speak with great eloquence in every language known to man, if he didn't have love, it would be as useless and ridiculous as making a loud sound to make something that's not real come to life and to hear you. Then in verse 2, Paul says that love is more important than knowledge. Even if we know everything about nuclear science, even if we know everything about medicine, even if we know everything about philosophy, psychology, and theology, and still do not have love, it is pointless. And then one of the things that Paul says that really kind of, I, I hope it gets you to thinking and questioning, is says, Paul says that love is more important than faith. He's not saying that faith is unimportant because we know if Hebrews 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. What he's saying is that love is preeminent. If I have faith, he says in this passage, that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3. If I sacrifice my body, if I give to the point that I am burned at the stake and I have not love, I am nothing. So when we think about the fruit of the spirit of love, you need to understand there's a reason why it's first. It's because it is essential. That's a big word that we've heard over the last couple of months. It is essential in the Christian walk. Not only is it essential, but love must be exhibited. Look at verses 4 through 7. Paul challenges to practice it. Look what he says. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, 
does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Paul is challenging us to practice it. It's not enough to acknowledge that love is essential. It's not enough for us, for me to say that love is essential and all of us to say amen. It's not enough to just say, yes, I believe that. You have to practice it. It has to be exhibited in your life. That's why Jesus said in John 13, he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And remember, when Jesus said that, it was not a suggestion, but a command. Now, we tend to think that love is something that just happens to us. If you watch TV for very long, movies, you see people that just fall in love, kind of like you just fell in a ditch, or they fall out of love, like they fall out of a tree. Yet the Bible teaches us that love is something that we can control. It must affect the way that we live, and it will affect the way that you live if you are living a spirit-filled life. See, the love that the Holy Spirit brings in our lives is a stranger to the natural human heart. We can't create this love. That's why there's over a 50% divorce rate in America. Not just outside the church, but in the church. Why? Because, let's think about it, we say that we can control love. I'm in love, I'm out of love. But the Bible's telling us that I love, this love that it's talking about, is totally different from what the world is talking about. Now, I know in your handouts, I don't have all these things listed out, but if you want to flip over your handout, you can write these. Because I'm just going to go through them real fast. The descriptions of love. He says that love is patient. Well, what does that mean? It basically means someone who is able to avenge himself, yet refrains from doing so. I know nobody in the sound of my voice has ever been in an argument, and while you're in an argument, you just refrained yourself. Here's how I argue. Hurry up and stop talking because I got something good to get you back with. Now, we know we, I know y'all are more spiritual than I am. But you think about it, This love is saying, I have the ability to avenge myself, but yet I refrain from doing so. Why? Because love is patient. Love is also kind. It, it means to show oneself useful. It volunteers to help others when they're in need. And if you truly love someone, guess what? You're going to just be kind to them. Have you ever seen somebody and they say that they're in love and they walked away going, I just kind of doubt that? Love is kind. Love does not envy. That's the third thing. Instead of wishing, what, wishing I had what you have, love helps me to celebrate what God has given you. I, I've said this many years. The church is good at the verse that says, mourn or weep with those who weep. We're not real good at rejoicing with those who rejoice. And here's what I mean. Somebody gets an inheritance of a million dollars, and you're like, hmm, I wish that would have been me. Instead of rejoicing with them, we think, man, I wish I could have that. I wish I had that car. I wish I got that promotion. I wish I had these types of things. And the Bible says that love does not envy, but love actually thinks better of others' people. Love does not boast. I like this. It's the word braggart. You may not know what that means, but you know what this word means. It also means windbag. Don't look at anybody. Windbag. Love, love does not just sit there and just keep puffing themselves up and bragging on themselves. In fact, if you think of the love of Christ, love of Christ always puts others first. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Love is not proud. That word means to blow or to puff up. 
Pride has no place in a believer's life because everything that I have, everything that you have, and I want us to get this this morning, everything, that breath that you just took, is nothing but the grace and the mercy of God. We have no right to brag. Love is not rude. Man, if you turn the TV on, that's all you see, right? Rude people. The Greek word means that love does not behave in an ugly, indecent, or obscene manner. Love acts in a worthy manner. Love's not self-seeking. This is the polar opposite of agape love. True love does not seek to build up self. Love always puts others above ourselves. Love is not easily angered. See, a person who's living under the influence of love is not prone to violent anger or aspiration. Think about this. We just talked about the fruit of the Spirit. There's love, joy, peace. We're going to talk about that. Peace with God, peace of God, peace with others. Patience. So love is not easily angered. Somebody that's easily angered is not a patient person, which we would say either they're not a believer or God is still working things out in their life. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Now, I, I don't even want to look at the screen or anybody that's in the sound of my voice, because. but I'm going to make this statement. I heard about a, an older couple. Two men were walking in front of their wives, and they were having a conversation, and, and one man said, you know what, every time me and my wife get into an argument, she gets historical. And he said, I think you mean she gets hysterical. He said, nope, she brings up stuff that happened 20 years ago. And we know that, but guess what? Love does not keep a record of wrongs love does not delight in evil we should not enjoy about hearing about other people's sins or focus on the bad stuff in fact as we watch the news we should not delight in what's going on we should be grieved in our spirit and saying man god did not die for this or god died for them what can i do to help others we don't delight in evil love rejoices with the truth that word truth here is the opposite of evil. Instead of locking into the vices of others, love celebrates and applauds the virtues of those around us. And I think these two go together. It, doesn't rejo it rejoices with truth and not evil, but it protects. Let me ask you this. Are you more concerned about protecting the reputation of your family and your friends more than yourself? Love protects. That's why 1 Peter 4.8 says this. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I think today if we were to put the screen down and I would have every sin that you committed this week up, everybody would start leaving one by one. But if you really loved each other, one of us would stand up and say, stop, we don't need to know that because you're trying to protect other people. Love always trusts. The idea here is that we don't, have, we don't lose faith in others even if they're messed up. This is difficult. Here's our philosophy. You hurt me once, shame on me. You hurt me twice, I mean, you hurt me once, shame on you. You hurt me twice, shame on me. And our philosophy is, I'm not going to trust you because you hurt me. And yet the Bible tells us that love always trusts. Think about how many times you've hurt Christ, and yet he still pours out his love for you. Love always hopes. It always expects with desire. No matter how bad or how dark life gets, love always looks for that silver lining you say well what is the silver lining in everything that's going on today my opinion more people are coming to a saving knowledge of jesus christ more people are getting in the word of god that in the last three months in our church than have in the whole three years that i've been here why because when darkness comes guess what light shines brighter 
Love always has hope. Love always perseveres. Love, it means this. It means to remain under. Love hangs in there when others want to walk out. It is a long-term love. Rather than worrying about what spiritual gifts I have, rather than being concerned about my position in church or focusing on attaining money or pleasure, I need to make sure that I am a person who loves. Here's a simple question before we take it home. Do I treat others with the same type of love that God has shown me? So how do we take this home? Number one, love those who are close to us. Love those who are close to us. I know some people say well, it's easier to love family, and I would say sometimes it's not. Love those that are close to us. Someone has said, to love the world for me is no chore. The only real problem is my neighbor next door. Love those that God has placed close to you. How are you doing in that relationship? Number two, love those who are different from us. Man, this needs to be preached all across our country. Love those who are different than us. We've had a long talk with our boys during this time because racism has raised its ugly head. But here, I'm just going to say this. I don't think sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to love somebody of another color. Sometimes we just don't love people who are different, have a different philosophy, have a different mindset. We need to love people no matter their status, no matter where they are. I tell my boys, those waiters and waitresses that are serving us at a restaurant, we will treat them with respect because they're doing their job and they are no different really than us. Love people that are different than you. Whatever their background, whatever their lifestyle, whatever their interests may be, if you realize in churches, we fight over everything just because it's a different opinion. Third, love those who disagree with us. Love those who disagree with us. I'm going to say this. It's a, it's, a, it's a year that we vote here in America, and I'm thankful that we get to vote, have that freedom. But can I tell you, you need to love people if they vote different than you. You need to love people if they disagree with you. Just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean that you're right. Doesn't mean that they're wrong. You're to love them regardless of who they are. Remember this, Christians with whom we disagree are never our enemies. They're still part of God's family. We need to love people who we disagree with. Number four, this is a difficult one, so I'm going to pause for just a second. Y'all ready? Love those who irritate us. Isn't it hard to love people who bug us isn't it hard to love people who rub us the wrong way and y'all are thinking about somebody right now hopefully it's not me but love those people who irritate you why because you're showing the love of christ let me wrap this up some of you probably heard this illustration there's a a man by the name or a boy by the name of ted stallard he he actually qualified as one of the least he was turned off by school. He, he's very sloppy in his appearance. X beside every wrong answer. If she'd only read his record, she'd have found something a little bit different. Because they read this in first grade. Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but has a poor home situation. Second grade, Ted could do better. Mother seriously ill. Receives little help from home. Third grade. Ted is a good boy, but too serious. 
He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Ted is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest in him whatsoever. While she was having him in a class, Miss Thompson realized that Christmas arrived and the children do what they normally do. They would come and they piled all these gifts on her desk. Ted brought one too. And you could tell which one was Ted's. It was wrapped in brown paper and held together by scotch tape. And Miss Thompson opened each gift. And as the children crowded around to watch, out of Ted's package fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a cheap bottle of perfume that was half used. The children began to snicker, but she silenced them by splashing some of the perfume on her wrist and letting them smell it. She put the bracelet on too. At the end of the day, all the children left except for Ted, and as Ted was walking by the teacher's desk, he said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother, and the bracelet looks pretty good on you too. I'm glad you like my presence, and he left. As he left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and began to pray and ask God to forgive her for her attitude and to change her heart. The next day, the children were greeted by a Reformed teacher committed to loving each and every one of them, even the slow ones especially Ted. Ted began to show great improvement, and he actually caught up with most of the students and even passed a few. Time came and went, and Miss Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a long time, and then one day she received this note. It said, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I like it. Love, Ted. Four years later, dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat. You're the only family that I have now. Dad died last year. Miss Thompson attended that wedding and sat where Ted's mother would have sat. The compassion she had shown that young man entitled her to that privilege. Church, maybe we need to start having the courage to loving what we consider the least of these. He became Ted Stallard, MD, all because somebody took the time to show him love. We have no excuse as believers to not show love. In fact, if you have the fruit of the Spirit living inside you, the very thing, the least thing that you can show individuals is unconditional love. Listen to me, I've said this a thousand times. We don't need a cure for the coronavirus. We don't need better government. We don't need less protesting. We need love. We need for the church of Jesus Christ to just show people what Jesus told us to do, to love unconditionally as he loved. And I, I promise you, if we, the church, will do it, it will change our homes, it will change our church, it will change our community. I don't know about you, but there's times that I just need to ask God to forgive me because I've not been as loving as I should. If I drive downtown Nashville, I'm not as loving as I should. If I go to the store and there's a long line, I'm not as loving as I should. If my kids act up and I'm already in a bad mood, I'm not as loving as I should. And guess what? The list goes on and on. And maybe what we just need to do is say, God, forgive me for not 
extending and expressing that love. Church, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to show it. And we ask God right now to help us to express that love that he's given us. Father God in heaven, God, I thank you for these, your people. God, they've been so attentive today. God, and I don't know exactly what's going on in their hearts and lives. God, as I said earlier this week, there's some people in the sound of my voice, they're going through greater, greater difficulties, greater than the coronavirus, greater than this quarantine, greater than, than, than these protests. Father, they're dealing with real things. They're dealing with cancer. They're dealing with wayward children. Father, they're dealing with the, the fact that they may be getting a divorce. They may be, may be dealing with the unknown. And God, what we need to do as a church is just to reach out and just to extend and express that love. Father, we realize that love is, is the most essential. But Father, we must exhibit it in our everyday life. Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you've done. God, we thank you and we praise you for what you're doing. God, I pray that you continue to speak. Help us to love as you've commanded us to love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you for watching today. If you are watching and uh, God is really speaking to you, I'm going to ask that you reach out to our church as best that you can, either through Facebook, you can call me, you can text me and let us know what we can do for you. And let me just give you this challenge. Love today like Jesus would love. Amen.